morning. If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be opening to the book of Matthew in the 28th chapter. Matthew chapter number 28. <clears throat> Again, we say thank you for those of you who are visiting with us. We hope if this is your first time that it will not be your last time. We hope and pray that you'll come back and visit with us again. We have Sunday morning and evening services, and we have Wednesday night services at 7. And uh, we look forward to meeting those of you who are visiting with us for the first time personally. Uh, after the service, I'll be standing in the back, and we'd love to get to know who you are and your names. Uh, having said that, one of the things that I was going to say at the beginning of this service is that often we come into church and we forget that our cell phone is on. How many of you have ever done that before? You forgot that you have your cell phone and it's not on silent. Well, here if you have an iPhone, which my children made me get, I used to have an Android, but I had to come up with the times. Uh, On the side of your phone, you've got this little toggle and you can turn it on silent. And if you have an Android phone, just take your power button and turn your phone off And uh, that will help you not to be embarrassed because some people in this church, if your phone goes off, they'll stand up and point at you and then tell you that you owe them a pizza. If your phone goes off twice, you owe uh, breadsticks as well. So good to see you here in the Lord's house on Resurrection Sunday. Thank you very much for coming. Matthew chapter number 28, we'll begin reading in verse number one. You can remain seated for the reading of God's word. But please follow along with us as we read this eyewitness or we read this account by someone who lived contemporaneously with the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter number 28. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the mother and, and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake... For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. Matthew 28 and verse 4. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here. For he is risen, as he said. (laughs) Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. Let's bow to to the Lord in prayer this morning as we consider the resurrection this morning. Our Father in heaven, we come into your presence this morning. I thank you for all those who've gathered here. I pray, Lord, that you would do a holy work in the hearts of those who are here this morning. If there's anyone here who's never trusted you as Savior, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. And for those of us who are believers, Lord, we pray that once again you would encourage our hearts with the truths that come from your word of all the things that took place, that that went around the resurrection and the things that took place at this time. We pray and we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, this story that we just read is a historic story and it is a true story. I am here to tell you that as a preacher of the gospel and as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe every word that Matthew records as well as Mark, Luke, and John 
God gave us an account of what took place after the crucifixion of Christ. Last week we covered the thief on the cross, who, who when he was dying on the cross, he looked at the Lord and he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus told him that today I will be with you will be with me in paradise. And now Jesus has been he's been buried. He was taken off the cross. If you read the accounts of the crucifixion, you will read how a man named Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man who owned a tomb that was adjacent to the cross of Calvary, he asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Christ's body was taken down. They they put embalming spices upon him. They wrapped his body in linen and they laid it in this new and borrowed tomb because Christ wasn't going to need this tomb for very long. He was only going to need it for three days and three nights. And he got up. And the scripture makes it clear, and all gospel accounts make it clear, as you begin to read in Matthew 28 and verse number 1, it says, In the beginning of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene. It is clear from all gospel accounts that Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week. The first day of the week is Sunday. It's the day when God's people commemorate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, some people would know it as Easter and other, others would know it as Resurrection Sunday. But every Sunday we come to the Lord's house, we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it took place on the first day of the week. Now we know that men had attempted to secure the tomb. And a large stone was placed over the mouth of the sepulcher. A sepulcher was like a, a hewn-out piece of stone, a cave, if you will. It was a place where people in the Old Testament would be buried. Now, when you go to a burial ground today, people would take a heavy piece of equipment, or sometimes they dig it with a shovel, and they'll dig a grave, and it's normally not a shallow grave. They dig a certain amount down in order to bury people in our days. But in Bible times, they were buried in a sepulcher or a tomb. And this was the case with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the Bible says in Matthew chapter 27, probably on the same page of your Bible, that certain things took place around the burial of Christ where men were trying to ensure that his body would stay in the grave. Matthew 27, and we'll read in verse number 62. Now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. <laughs> it's funny how the Pharisees heard this, but the disciples didn't. <laughs> and they, they said, we remember how he said this. And they said in verse 64, Command therefore that the sepulcher be made sure unto the third day, lest its disciples come by night and steal him away, and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead. So the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch. Go your way and make it as sure as you can. Do the best you can with making this tomb as sure as you can. In verse number 66, it says, So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. So they put soldiers around the tomb. They rolled this large stone in front of that tomb and they sealed the mouth of that tomb. How they sealed it, I don't know. They probably took some substance like mortar 
that would dry upon the, the sides of it. And they made it as sure as they possibly could because they were saying that the Son of God was buried in there and he wasn't coming out and nobody was going to steal him away from that tomb. It's, it's amazing to me how that the enemies of Christ are already making preparations just in case. It's almost like they had a premonition about what was coming. And my friend, it did. Many years ago, a songwriter by the name of Dallas Holm wrote a song called, I'll Rise Again. He said, go ahead, drive the nails in my hands. Laugh at me where you stand. Go ahead and say it isn't me. The day will come and you will see. Because I'll rise again and no power on earth can tie me down. Yes, I'll rise again. Death can't keep me in the ground. He said, go ahead. Mock my name. My love for you is still the same. Go ahead and bury me. But very soon, I will be free. Because I'll rise again. He had, uh, he had Southern lingo, this Dallas home. He said, ain't no power on earth can tie me down. <laughs> Yes, I'll rise again. Death can't keep me in the ground. Go ahead and say I'm dead and gone. But you will see that you were wrong. Go ahead, try to hide the sun. But all will see that I'm the one. Because I'll come again. Ain't no power on earth can keep me back. Yes, I'll come again. Come to take my people back. I'm here to tell you, Jesus came the first time as a lamb who suffered on Calvary. But my Jesus is coming again to rule and reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years. And next time he won't be a lamb. He'll be the lion of the tribe of Judah with his vesture dipped in blood. He's not going to ask any questions next time. He's just going to rule. You know why? Because he's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. Not only do we see that men tried to keep Jesus in the grave, but we see this appearance of the angel. The Bible describes a situation that took place as Mary approached the tomb, that there was an earthquake that took place. I imagine this earthquake had something to do with that angel coming over there to roll that big old stone away. Just one angel, or maybe two angels, rolled that stone away. A couple of the gospel accounts said that when the women came down there to the tomb, the angel was sitting on top of that stone. Another gospel account talked about two other angels that were sitting inside the tomb, one where the feet of Jesus would have been and one where the head of Jesus would have been. All I know is that there were some appearances of angels at this time. I believe in angels. I believe that the Lord talks about angels throughout the scripture and it talks about that they're ministering spirit sent to those who shall be heirs of salvation. You know, if you're sitting in God's house today and you've never been saved by the grace of God, but the day is going to come where you're going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to let you know this, God knows it. God knows the day and the hour when you're going to be birthed into the family. And you weren't going to die before that day came because the Bible talks about these ministering spirits that could keep you alive. Some of you aren't saved yet, but your day is coming. I hope and pray that your day is today. If you're lost today and you've never been saved by the grace of God, I hope that you come to today and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. 
The Bible talks about these ministering spirits, though. The Bible talks several times about angels coming and strengthening Christ. Once in the Garden of Gethsemane, an angel came and strengthened him as his body was sweating, as it were, great great sweat drops of blood. I believe in the angelic hosts. In the Old Testament, God was called, and I'm running a rabbit trail. My forgiveness is asked. I am a Baptist preacher. His name was Jehovah Sabbath. That means that he's the Lord of hosts. That means that there's an invisible host of God's angels that's sitting around this place. You might think that men and the army of this world are strong, but they don't hold a candle to the strength that the angels have, my friend. There's more that be with us than there be with them. I thank God for the angels. These angels were frightening looking. The appearance of the angel, the Bible said that this angel's countenance was like lightning and his raiment was as white as snow. Mark's gospel described the angel as looking like a, a young man clothed in a long white garment. And the announcement of the angel, the angel confirmed the words of Jesus. He said, he's not here. He's risen, as he said. You know, Jesus did everything he said he was going to do. Jesus came to this earth. He came to finish the Father's work, and that he did. He went all the way to Calvary. He didn't shirk from his responsibility. He laid down on a cross of wood and let men that he created put nails in his hands and feet. And he was hung up for all people, including his mother, at that time to see. And he paid for our sins on Calvary's cross. The angel said he said he was going to rise, and he rose. The angel said he told you that he would go before you into Galilee, and he's going to meet you in Galilee. And where did Jesus meet him? He met him in Galilee. Our Christ does what he says. He told him not to fear. You know, sometimes this life produces great fears. He said, go and tell in Matthew 28 and verse 7. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. You know, that, that same message that the angel gave to those individuals there that day, those women. That same message is given to us today to go and tell. We try to tell every person about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way that you can be saved, the only way that your sins can be forgiven, is if you believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. The Bible speaks about many things about the resurrection. The resurrection is somewhat of a mystery in the Bible. I don't know that any one of us has all the facts or the full understanding of what the resurrection is all about. But the book of 1 Corinthians sheds some light on what the, what the resurrection is going to be like. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you would turn your Bible there, I just quoted a section from it just a moment ago. Because the Bible declares what the gospel is. This is the only way that you can get saved. Some people believe that they can be saved through religious works and religious activities. There may be somebody here today, and I would ask you, if you died today, are you sure that you'd go to heaven when you die? And you might answer me like many have before. Well, I hope I would. I hope that I've done enough good to go to heaven. I hope that I've done enough. And that kind of thinking and that kind of view almost shows that you are not saved. Because if you have an idea of salvation as if it's Lady Justice, who's looking at you, and if you do enough good and it outweighs your bad, then maybe the Lord will allow you to go into heaven. It shows that you have a works-based salvation. You don't go to heaven based on what you do. You can't go to heaven on your goodness. 
You say, but I'm a good person. May I remind you that the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You may think you're a good person, but God knows every thought that's gone through that worldly and wicked mind of yours. How dare you talk to me like that? You're a sinner, friend. The same dirty thoughts that rolls through someone else's mind has probably run across yours. You know why? As righteous as you try to be, as right as you try to be, you can't be good enough to go to heaven. Jesus Christ had to come and die in your place to die for your sins. You're a sinner. The Bible says there's none that doeth good. No, not one. We've all become unprofitable. We've all gone out of the way. Isaiah 53 described it this way. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. You say, well, that doesn't apply to me. I've never really gone astray, sir, ma'am. You have gone astray and your sins need to be forgiven. They will not be forgiven until you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the scripture has much to say about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We read, first of all, that the gospel was preached. That's what we're doing today. We preach the gospel. This church believes in the preaching of the word of God. Now, the Bible says in verse number 3 that the delivery of the gospel was that, first of all, that which I also received. Paul received this as well. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Jesus didn't die for his own sins. He died on other people's sins behalf. He died for the sins of others. He died for your sins. Every sin that you've ever committed was paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reason he died. And in verse number 4, Jesus was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The scriptures then go on to say how many people that Jesus was seen by. Now there are lies that are propagated by false religions. False religions will tell you things like an imposter died on Jesus' behalf and Jesus never actually did die. The Muslims are some people that would say that to you. I had Muslims tell me that to my face. That an imposter died. That it was a, they kind of pulled the old switcheroo before he got on the cross. And it wasn't actually Jesus who died on the cross. I want to tell you something. There wasn't no switcheroo going on on the day that Jesus was crucified. Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. It wasn't an imposter. That's a lie from the devil. And I want to tell you something today, friend. There's a lot of people that are going to try to lie to you and lie to your soul. I don't like the devil. Never have liked him. He's the arch enemy of of people. And if you're lost today, the devil wants you to stay lost. He doesn't want you to get saved. He doesn't want you to hear about Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 also talks about several other things about the resurrection. There were some people in the church at Corinth who now were purporting that Jesus Christ didn't raise from the dead. He wasn't resurrected. Now listen. I want to tell you young people a few things, and I want to say some things to a few of you adults as well. You aren't going to get a whole lot of truth regarding the scripture on the internet. You will get truth regarding from the scripture, from the scripture. Don't go to a bunch of wicked people and ask them what they think about 1 Corinthians 15. Read it for yourself, and my encouragement to you is to believe the Bible. There may be parts of the Bible that I don't understand, but there's no part of the Bible that I don't believe. Sometimes it takes a little while for God to illuminate your mind. But when it comes to issues like the resurrection, you need to believe what the Bible has to say. The Bible says in verse number 12 of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's here reasoning with people at the church at Corinth. 
Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some of you that there's no resurrection from the dead? (laughs) He's basically confronting him. Have you ever confronted somebody? You said this. How is it that this happened and you're saying that this happened? This is exactly what Paul is doing. He's bringing this false report to the mind of the whole church. He said in verse 13, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain and your faith is vain. So if Christ didn't rise from the dead, preaching is worthless. That's what vain means. It's worthless. It's it's meaningless. I'm here to tell you today that preaching's not meaningless. Preaching got me in the door. Preaching's what got a hold of my heart. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in this very same book that by the foolishness of preaching, God has ordained to save those that would believe. The the, preaching of the cross is to them that perish, foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. You say, we live in a culture today who devalues preaching. In fact, most churches don't put the emphasis on preaching. They're putting the emphasis on the music and the lights and the performance these days. But in churches like this, my friend, in churches like this, the preaching of the cross is what is paramount. It is, it is centered around it. I mean, preaching draws people unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Preaching is vain if Christ wasn't written, risen. And what a, what a sad thing to say that faith, faith is vain if Christ isn't risen. In verse number 17, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You know, the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Anything that would cause us to believe or or to purport that our faith is vain is, is a terrible heresy. And what I'm telling you today, friend, is Jesus Christ did die and he did rise from the dead. I believe in the literal bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He died physically, he was buried physically, and he rose again physically. And it even says that he still has the nail scars in his hands and his feet. One day, all of us are going to see those because our sin had the effect upon him. The Bible also says in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 15... 1 Corinthians 15 that says this, that the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Death is a great enemy. Death is promised to us all. The Bible says, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. In John chapter 11, one of Christ's friends named Lazarus died. He breathed his last breath. Jesus waited some four days to come there before he rose Lazarus. He told Lazarus to come forth from that graveyard. He said, Lazarus, come forth. But one of the shortest verses, perhaps the shortest verse in the Bible, is in John chapter 11 where it said that Jesus wept. Now there are some theologians out there that said that Jesus was weeping because of the unbelief of people. I believe that was a part of it. I also believe that a reason that Jesus was weeping was because of the terrible effect that death had upon mankind. I've been to a great many funerals. I've been at funerals where there was great weeping. I've been at funerals where people literally tried to get into the casket with the dead. They didn't want to let them go. I've been at funerals of young people who put something into their body and didn't realize that it was for their life. And I've seen their mother lean into the casket and give them a kiss at the playing of music. 
My heart has been broken at funerals, sad funerals, people who had taken their life. Just this year, two of my, my friends have died in a car accident. One of them's name was Bill McMillan from Missouri, a funny man, a, go- a godly man, a good man. Got into a car wreck and was taken out into eternity just like that. I received a message from his daughter who went to a school that I was a part of, me and my wife. It was on a Sunday morning just before our morning service and I got a message from her and said that her dad had got on to eternity just the night before. Yesterday morning I woke up to the sad news that a member of our last church in Cincinnati, Ohio, a son of a deacon, AAA driver, pulled over to the side of the road to assist a vehicle that was pulled over and a drunk driver came along, plowed into his tow truck, killed him and the people that were pulled over on the side of the road. The drunk driver walked away with no injuries, but three people went out into eternity, one of which was a member of that church that I was a part of before this one. He was a friend to me and my family. I, I brought my son down into the room, my office after breakfast, and we, I broke the news to him and we both wept. We wept at the passing of a friend. We had great memories of of this young man. I have a great love for his parents. They've already gone through a great measure of suffering already. They'd already buried one of their sons who died of a, a brain tumor. And now their other son, they only had two sons. They've outlived both of their children. Death is a great enemy. Some of you don't realize that life is very fragile. You take chances with your life. Some people take chances when they put things in their body. You know, this drunk driver who put all this stuff into his body and then got behind the wheel of a car, changed these people's lives forever, and his life will be changed forever now as well. But life is very fragile. And life can be taken from you just like that. That's why it is very important that you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You know, the Bible makes it clear in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 that death has no sting to the believer. In 1 Corinthians 15, if you skip down to verse number 55, the Bible says in verse number 55 of 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, we get victory over death through Christ. As sad as my heart is today for my friend Keith, he is rejoicing with his brother in heaven and those who'd gone before him. There was no sting of death to that believer. Because when he died, he was swallowed up in victory. He's never going to die again. Listen, all of us are going to die once. The Bible speaks about a second death coming for those who would not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I ask you a question today? Have you ever believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Jesus Christ died for all of your sins. And he died in your place. And he paid for every sin that you've ever committed. But you don't get saved until you exhibit faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and receive him by faith. The Bible says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to be 
become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. In Romans chapter number 10, it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Some of you have never made a mouth confession. You've never come to the Lord and confessed yourself a sinner and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me invite you as a preacher of the gospel today. Do that before it's eternally too late. Be saved. Jesus paid for all your sins. He'll save you today. You don't have to have a hope-so salvation. You can have a no-so salvation. You know, when Jesus got up from the dead, the Bible makes it very, very plain in Matthew chapter number 28. When they went into that tomb, there was one of the disciples that saw those clothes folded up and he believed. And there was another uh, disciple that went in and he just went in and looked. And then there was Mary sitting without the tomb crying. She didn't believe at all until Jesus called her name. The choir sang about it this morning. She thought he was a gardener. My friend, Jesus Christ was not the gardener. He was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he had victory over death, hell, and the grave. He won that victory for you. But here's the thing. You don't get saved unless you want to. Jesus does not save people against their will. You have to acknowledge first in order to be saved. Number one, I am lost. If you've never been to a place in your life when you've acknowledged, I'm lost without the Lord, can I break the news to you, sir? Can I break the news to you, ma'am? If you've never been lost, you've never been saved. You can't get saved without knowing that you're lost. You say, I've I've never acknowledged that I was lost before God. Won't you acknowledge that today? That's, That's actually the good news of the gospel, that once you accept the bad news, you can take the good news. You can't get the good news without the bad news. The bad news is, is that you are lost without the Lord. You're alienated from the Lord. You're lost. The Bible says in John 3.36 that if you haven't believed on the Lord Jesus Christ by this experience that we call being born again, receiving Christ, that the wrath of God abides upon you. The only way to get the wrath of God off of you is to come to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. Some of you have battled with sin. You've battled with this world and with the assurance of salvation and you have no assurance that you're saved. Can I say to you today, friend... God does not want you sitting around in doubt, wondering whether or not you are saved. He wants to give you full assurance that you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And further than that, he wants you to be used in his service. Notice in 1 Corinthians 15 and 58, and we'll close with this. The Bible says, here's the response to having death swallowed up in victory and to our belief in the resurrection. Here is what the Lord wants us to do as believers. Put your life to the test today according to verse 15 or, or chapter 15 and 58. It says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, notice, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. If you are saved, the Lord wants you to serve Him. And you ought to be abounding in the work of the Lord. And for some today, you don't know where that work is. You don't abound in the work of the Lord. That could be because you've never been saved or it could be because you've been sidelined for whatever reason. Find yourself in a place to serve the Lord again. The Bible tells us to be steadfast and unmovable and to abound in the work of the Lord. This is how your joy can be full. This is how you can be useful and that the Lord can get all of your potential out of you in this life. Some of you are going to die with a lot of unused potential and you've never given to the Lord. You've never got on the track to run for the Lord. Get off the sideline and get on the track and run for Him. 
The Christian race is to be run, not watched. You're not supposed to be a spectator. But for some today, you don't know the Lord as your Savior. You could be visiting here for the first time. This is the first time you've ever heard a clear presentation of the gospel. Can I say to you today, friend, that even the first time you hear the gospel preached, you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and He'll save you just as much as He'll save someone who's heard the gospel hundreds of times. That's the glory of Jesus Christ. He can save you on your last day like He did the thief on the cross. He could save you in your middle ages. He could save you in your youth. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me. I want to ask you a question. Are you saved today? If you're not, Jesus wants to save you. And this altar call is for you. And if you need to use the altar for anything, prayer, maybe you need to pray for a loved one. I want you to just feel free to do what God has put on your heart. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed as we prepare to receive or to have a verse of invitation. Now, when we ask for our heads to be bowed and our eyes to be closed, it's only so that people can have a moment to themselves when they come to the Lord's house. This isn't between you and your friends, young people. It's not between you and the guy or the girl next to you. It's just between you and God. You could be somebody in your middle ages. You could be in your later ages. You could be a young person. There could be somebody in here today, and if if you were to honestly answer this question, are you saved, you'd say, no, I'm not saved. I don't know what that is, or I've never come to the Lord in faith. I mentioned some things about being lost. Some of you, no doubt, when hearing that, you could say, I I apply to that. I've never acknowledged that I was lost before God. Here's what I'm encouraging you to do. Won't you be saved before it's eternally too late? If you're a man, you have a family, and you don't know that you're saved, the best thing that could ever happen to your family is for you to get saved by God's grace. And in some families, that's all God's waiting on. God's waiting on you, sir. He's been knocking on your heart's door. He's been telling you you need to get saved. Who knows all the glory that would come if you would just submit to the Lord. To some, it's a lady. Mom, if you just allow God to get a hold of your heart and just do what God says, God will bring miracles to your family. There could be some young people here today. God doesn't have grandchildren. Just because your mom or dad is saved doesn't mean you are. You need to come to Christ yourself. If that's your story today, as Brother John sings, I invite you to come. These others have come. If you're lost, come on. I'll meet you down here on front. Let God have His way in your heart. Be saved on this Resurrection Sunday. Jesus saved If you need to come, you come. you need to come and just pray. Ask for having problems with my family. Stuff going on in my heart. Need help. Find help with the Lord.
salvation is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ to do what he said that he would do, which is save you if you come. The Lord will save anyone. I invite you to come today if you're lost. to respond to what they've heard. And as you see, we've had several people respond. That's a, actually quite, quite a blessing for, for people to say, you know what, what was being preached, I want to receive that. I believe that. If you're still on the fence, if you're teetering on that, listen, our church desires to help you. As the pastor here, as a friend, I want to help you. And I can't help people that You know, don't give me the opportunity to help. But as a pastor, I love it when someone asks me, Hey, can you help me? Can you show me from the scriptures how to be saved? The Lord can save anyone. And he wants to save anyone, young to old, from, you know, from a a small child to the oldest person in the congregation. God wants to save you if you're lost. He also wants you to be a part of a good church. And you may be here today considering the Metropolitan Baptist Church. The Bible will always be the forefront of this church. As long as I'm the pastor and I know churches can go astray, but I'm going to do everything I can to build up the Bible and Jesus Christ and let him be seen in your life. Maybe you've come today and you want to unite with our church by membership. This is your verse. If the Lord spoke into your heart, you come. As Brother John sings, as we all sing. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus, Did I miss
just looked at my watch and it's only 12.11. For a Baptist preacher to be done with that long of an altar call by 12 minutes after 11, it's, not, it's nearly a miracle, friends. Uh, thank you for joining us on Resurrection Sunday. And I hope and pray that you use this day uh, to get with your family. You know, years ago, it was on Resurrection Sunday when our family gathered around a table and my sweet wife put together ham and this uh, green bean casserole, uh, some sweet potato pie, uh, mashed potato. There was more food than there was able, the ability to put our plates on the table. <laughs> my father-in-law was there and he's on to be with the Lord. And I, I sat there at the head of my table and thought, there's probably people in the world who's never seen this much food at one time. And how privileged I was to have such a wonderful family. And now today, I'm without my wife. This is probably the first Resurrection Sunday when we have not been together. But I know that me and Tyvon are going to eat like kings today. And uh, I just want to say that this, these type of days, grab your family and hug your family. Enjoy your family. Uh, I got this news yesterday about my friend who went on to be with the Lord. The first thing I did was go upstairs and I hugged Matthew. And I called all my kids. You ought to be thankful for the days when you don't have an empty seat. And if you don't have an empty seat at your table today, be thankful. If you have an empty seat at your table today, be thankful for the years God gave you with them. And pray for those who are going through times of suffering. Thank you for coming to the Metropolitan Baptist Church today. We hope and pray that your heart was very blessed. All right, we're going to go ahead and pray and be dismissed. I'm going to call on Brother Harrison Shepherd to dismiss the service and prayer, please.